0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are right now continuing on in our morning uh, sermon series that we have called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. Joe mentioned earlier about how uh, he had some questions about the faith and how God used this book, Case for Christ, to help answer some of those questions, and God used that as a process of leading him into a relationship with himself. And, and uh, you know, we are in this series looking at some of these questions and trying to find some answers that would help us, questions that we have, questions that other people ask us about our faith. We've talked about the Bible, and is it reliable? And we've talked about Christ. Is he the only way to salvation? And what about those that haven't heard? We're going to look at in a couple of weeks about you know how uh, what about those who are suffering, who we would consider to be innocent. Why is it that innocent suffer in this world? And these are questions that you have, that I have, that, that people have asked us, and we're walking through in this series some of these questions to find some answers. And we're going to look at another of those questions this morning, the question that really pertains to salvation. Is salvation really by grace through faith? That seems too easy. We're going to look at that together today. But before we do, before we look at that, I, I want to see if I could get you all to help me with something. Um, I, I could really use a favor, and, and here's what I could use from you, uh, everybody out there. If you could just get out your checkbook right now, that would be great. So just take a moment, go ahead and get your checkbook out. Uh, nobody's moving. Uh, if if you're if you're new with us, you're elbowing who you came with and so, See, I told you so. This is all they want. Um, if you're if you're under if you're under thirty, you're going. What's a checkbook? Um, Ask somebody over 30, they'll help you out. Um, but, but you know, go ahead and get your checkbook out. I want you to get your checkbook out, and as you have that checkbook out, and as it's sitting in front of you, here is what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to make a check out to Mark Robinson, that's Mark with a K, uh, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, and then if you could just put in the amount section $100 million, that'd be awesome. Mark with a K, 100 million, go ahead and fill that out. Um, and, you know, Here's the question. How many of you can write that check? Okay, trick question. All of you can write that check. How many of you will that check clear for? Nobody, right? I mean, that's the beautiful thing about a check. You can just write it. You can put whatever you want to on there. But what makes the check able to clear is not our ability to write it. Any of us can write a check for any amount. What makes that check clear is these magic numbers along the bottom. There's a routing number, there's an account number, and whoever receives that check will send it through the financial institution of choice, and they'll, they'll check and make sure that that routes to an account that has sufficient funds to cover that check. Now, I could write you a check for $100 million right now, it would bounce. Why? Because there's not sufficient funds in my bank account to cover that kind of a withdrawal. But... If there were, if those numbers mapped to an account, you know, Bill Gates, whatever, where there's, there's a lot of money in that account, then that check could conceivably clear. clear. That, that's what makes the difference is those routing numbers. Now, I go through all that today because I think it's a, it's a relevant example for this topic of conversation. See, when we talk about is salvation really by grace through faith, I mean, really, that, that question stems from a desire. So that sounds too easy. It sounds like salvation is, is cheap, that, that God has somehow lowered the standard and made it possible for us to purchase salvation um, with, without good works. But is that really what, what happened? Is salvation really something that we can earn? See, most people in the United States today believe in a heaven. Most people believe in a heaven. Many people in the United States today believe in a hell. But what is it that allows somebody to, to go to heaven? What is it that allows somebody to go to hell? The, the, the Kind of the common viewpoint is that that dividing line has to do something with our good works. If, if we're good enough, we go to heaven. If we're not good enough, we go to hell. And, and but where is that line drawn? Where is that line drawn? Most people would answer that question somewhere below me right? And most people who believe in a heaven, most people who believe in a hell believe that they're going to heaven. And what they are, are saying when they say that is that the line that determines heaven from hell is a, is a line of good works that is something less than what I am. In other words, we have enough, this is the common vernacular, we have enough good works in our own account to, to cover the check needed to purchase eternal life. But is that accurate? Is it accurate to say that you and I would have enough good works to, to have us have an entry into heaven? See, when we say that salvation by grace through faith sounds too easy, really the implication of that question is that we ought to be able to buy salvation through some other means than the grace of God. But is that accurate? Well, we're going to look at that today by, by looking into God's Word together. And in the first place that we're going to go as we look at this question of of how our salvation is 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 a, a required or achieved and and what our salvation costs how good is good enough the first place that we're going to go to look at that is in the book of Matthew and chapter 5. So if you got a Bible open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 is a very famous section of scripture it's Jesus' first and longest sermon that he would give that was recorded and preserved for us today, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus uh, begins it by really helping us answer the question, how good is good enough? How, many, how much righteousness do we need to have in our own account so that our check to purchase eternity will clear on the date of our death? Jesus is going to clarify that question. Now, many people who think that salvation by grace through faith is, too, is cheap think that somehow Jesus has lowered the bar and made it very easy for people to enter into eternity in a relationship with God. But when you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus didn't lower the bar. Jesus actually raises the bar, he raises the standard or clarifies how high the standard actually is. He clarifies how expensive entering eternity actually is. And he does this in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 20. This is what Jesus says in Matthew five twenty. He's talking to the crowd and he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is going to say salvation is very expensive. How expensive is it? In order to inherit it, you must be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now when we hear that, some of its effect is lost for us because we read the Bible almost like a melodrama and we read it knowing the whole story and we we read the Bible in the New Testament thinking that the scribes and the Pharisees are the bad guys right? They're the ones at the end of the Gospels that will have Jesus arrested and sent to the cross and, and killed. And so we look at them as the bad guys. And when we read the Bible, we read it like a melodrama. When scribes and Pharisees are there, we want to boo and hiss. We imagine that they're wearing black capes and, and, and hats and have little mustaches that they twirl. We, we think of the scribes and the Pharisees that way. But that's not how people in the first century thought about the scribes and the Pharisees. In the first century, the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the religious elite. They they were those who had very high standards of righteousness, and they would tell you about it. They were those that that could quote you all Ten Commandments in probably multiple languages. They they were those who had resumes of of how much they did and how good they were and and how much they were helping or or whatever. These were people that went to synagogue. Uh, the, The scribes and the Pharisees... In Jesus' day were the religious elite. And and Jesus says to the crowd, He says, if you want to purchase eternal life through your good works, guess what? You got to be better than them. And we read that and think, well, they're going to kill Jesus. We can be better than that. But the original audience heard it and they go, Oh no. Those are the best people that we know. Those are the religious people. I've got to be better than them. And Jesus says, Absolutely. If you're going to purchase. Eternal life through your good works, you've got to be better than them. And then he goes on to clarify that and to explain it through a number of statements where he says, you have heard it said, and he probably would quote things that they had heard Pharisees teach, you have heard it said, but I say to you. The first category that Jesus gets into is the category of murder. You can imagine if Jesus were saying, okay, we'll start with murder. How many of you are murderers? Probably not very many hands went up around the crowd. And Jesus says this, though. He says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says, You want to be purchasing eternal life with your good works? Well, guess what? You, you, you have to not be a murderer, but murder not just as an external action, but murder in terms of your attitude towards those around you. If you disregard somebody else, if you have have anger towards them, the, the, the bruise, If if you insult them, then guess what? You are guilty of murder in your heart. And so Jesus says the bar is not lowered. The bar is raised. Second thing he says he says this about adultery. He says in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, okay, let's talk adultery. How many of you are adulterers? You know, not many hands went up. He says, okay, but you're defining adultery wrong. See, adultery is not just an external action of sleeping with somebody who's not your spouse, but if you have looked on somebody with lustful thoughts, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And In two failed swoops at the beginning of this sermon, he's got an entire crowd full of murderers and adulterers. But he didn't stop there. He kept right on going. Uh, verses 34 and 35, he's going to talk about being honest. And he says, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old you shall not swear falsely, but perform, but, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, uh, for it is the throne of God. In other words, he says, you know, don't just tell the truth. Don't just tell the truth when you make, you know, a, a double dog swear. Tell the truth all the time. Be honest in all of your dealings. And so in three swoops, he's made of murderers, adulterers, and now liars. But he kept going. And he's going to talk about forgiveness. And he says, You have heard that it was said in, in verses 38 and 39, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If Jesus would have said, How many of you are forgiving? There probably would have been several people whose hands would have gone up. But then he would have said, Well, are you this forgiving? Are you forgiving even to those who have hurt you in a very deep and a personal way? And, and suddenly people were getting a little more uncomfortable. So now they're they're murderers, they're adulterers, they're liars, and they lack forgiveness in the basic core of their life. But then he he kept going. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, he goes right to the heart and he talks about the love that they have for others. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who who persecute you. If Jesus had said, how many of you are loving, they would have been in several hands, probably would have gone up, said, yeah, I've taken care of my kids, and I've got the trust fund taken care of, and the the will, and we've got a nice place to live, and you know, at Christmas, I buy a present for that, that family that has some needs, and they get these things taken care of, and Jesus says, okay, but how many of you love not just your own, but how many of you love those who would consider to be your enemies, and suddenly their eyes don't meet his? And so Jesus doesn't lower the bar, Jesus clarifies how high the bar actually is. And in just a few moments, he has has pointed out that the bar is so high that all of them are below it, and if they needed any further clarification to just how much good works they would need in order to purchase their eternity, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's a pretty high bar. Jesus set the bar, or clarified just how high the bar actually is. And here was the difficulty as Jesus did that. As Jesus clarified just what was necessary in order for people to, if they were to purchase their own eternity with their own good works, there would have to be such a a, a huge deposit um, that they could never afford it. They weren't just slightly out of reach, they were impossibly out of reach, because God was asking for perfection, and they had already broken the law. They were already adulterers and liars and and dishonest people and unloving people and unforgiving people. He just clarified that in the statement. And so as Jesus is talking here in in Matthew chapter 5, he says the bar is really high, and guess what? You guys have already fallen short, and you can't ever get over the top. And you can imagine the feeling of those people in Jesus' day. It's probably the same feeling that you're feeling right now. You know, this is... a, a, a notion or an idea or a feeling that, that, that guys, we can relate to. If, if your wife has ever made brownies or cookies for an event and you come home and she's gone and the brownies are all there on the table and you walk in and you see them and you go over and you get a brownie and you eat it and then you've got chocolate kind of hanging there on the side of your mouth and then your wife comes home and she says, hey, I made these brownies and I have the exact number that I need for this event. Whatever you do, don't eat the brownies what do you do, guys? You say, okay. And then you either hope she never counts them or you figure out a way to make some more brownies really fast, right? Because the bar was here and you'd already broken it. And, and that's what happened when Jesus was talking to this crowd of people. He says, hey, the bar is here and you guys have already broken it. And they're thinking, wow, this is terrible. We have no hope for our eternity. We have no hope of being able to purchase eternal life because it's asking for a sum of funds of righteous acts that I do not possess nor ever will be able to possess. But Jesus began this teaching with them by telling them something very important. Jesus began in the Sermon on the Mount, before he ever gets to all of these things where they had fallen short, Jesus began by talking about something about himself. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, what, what Jesus was saying was, he was saying, hey, the bar is not down here. The bar is actually up here, but guess what? I've cleared it. That's what Jesus says. He says, the bar is all the way up here, but guess what? I have fully lived into all that is taught in the law and the prophets, not just externally, but internally. Jesus says, I am fully righteous, and the bar that is up here, I'm able to clear. The the, the funds that are necessary to purchase eternal life through good works, there is sufficient balance in my account. And Jesus says, if you want to get on the other side of that bar, if you want to spend eternity with God in heaven. If you want to have salvation purchased for you, then you will need a deposit that is far greater than anything you have. You will need a deposit that is routed to an account of someone far more righteous than yourself. You will need the check to be routed to my account, is what Jesus says. And if your check is routed to my account, then when you enter eternity, then sufficient funds could be there to make payment so that we might have a relationship See, it leads us to the question, what is the routing number on your eternity? There's really, there's there's two possibilities. All of us, one day, will will write our life as a check to God. Our lives will be written to Him, and our entrance to eternity will be determined based on the balance of funds in the routing number of our lives. And if we are counting on and depending on the good works that we have done. If our routing number goes back to ourselves, then we will miss out on an eternity with God in heaven. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first part of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, you and I, in our good works accounts, when you go there, there is, there is sin and there is death. That is what is there. If we route our lives to us, the check for eternity will not clear. But there's another way. There's another way that goes beyond us depending on ourselves, beyond us routing our eternity to our good works. There's a way for us to tap into the sufficient funds that are found in the righteousness of Christ. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us, and so he sent his son to pay that penalty of death, that wage of death that our sins deserved. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The idea is that every part of us, that, that that balance in our account that was that was calling for sin and death, that could be attached to Christ. And so when he died on the cross, all of that debt was satisfied. But even beyond that, more than just Jesus settling up the debt of our sin and death, God made a deposit of righteousness in the life of Christ that we can tap into as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. God made a deposit of righteousness. God made a deposit of a life that cleared the bar. And anybody whose life routes to that account, anyone whose life routes to Christ, when we die, if our check is routed there, there is sufficient balance in the account to cover all of our sins. There is sufficient balance in the account to usher us into eternity with God. And so again, the question goes back to what is the routing number on your eternity? Where is your life See, many, many times we we think of this question of salvation by grace through faith, and we think that it means that salvation is somehow cheap or easy, but that's not the case. Salvation is expensive and hard, but the deposit was made by someone other than you. See, it was not easy or cheap for Jesus to come to this earth and to live a perfect life. It was not easy or cheap for him to forgive those who spit on him and hit him and nailed him to the cross. It was not easy for him to go through with that act of dying on the cross for our sins. It was not easy for him to be resurrected from the grave. It wasn't easy for him to teach truth and to walk on water and to heal the sick and lame. It wasn't easy for him to go through life and to show love to everybody he came in contact with, but he did. And because he did, there was a balance of righteousness in an account someplace. And if our lives route to him, there are sufficient funds to cover our eternity. But if not, if we try to cash that check through our own good works and deeds, our check will simply bounce. I was thinking about this idea this week, and uh, my friend Keith sent me a link from a story that's in one of Max Lucado's books. Um, that recounts uh, this concept for us. and It does it against the backdrop of a prison in Brazil. This is what it says. It says, Near the city of São José dos Campos, Brazil, is a remarkable facility. Twenty years ago, the Brazilian government turned a prison over to two Christians. The institution was renamed Humaita, and the plan was to run it on Christian principles. With the exception of two full-time staff, all the work is done by Inmates. Families outside the prison adopt an inmate to work with during and after his term. Chuck Colson visited the prison, and this is the report that he made. So when I visited Humaita, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates, and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today, he told me, that block houses only a single inmate. As we reached the end of the long concrete corridor and he put the key into the lock, he paused and he asked me, Are you sure you want to go in? Of course, Coulson replied. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. And so slowly, he swung open the massive door, and I saw the prisoner, Colson says, in that punishment cell, a crucifix, beautifully carved by the Humaita inmates, the prisoner Jesus hanging on a cross. The guide softly spoke to Colson, and he said this. He's doing time. See, our salvation was not cheap, and it was not easy. It's Expensive, and it was hard, but it's a gift. The gift that God extends to us, where Jesus took on the penalty of our sin, and Jesus' righteousness could be credited to our account, sufficient payment so that we might inherit eternal life. And the question goes back to what we've asked over and over again. Where does our eternity route to? Our good works. That's what every other religion in the world would tell you. Route your eternity to your good works and you'll be okay. But Jesus clarified the situation in a very loving way. He said, no, it's not about you accumulating good works because you will never accumulate enough good works to purchase your eternity. It's about this deposit of the righteous life of Christ and whoever taps into that through faith has the opportunity to inherit eternal life. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. It has to be by grace through faith because the standard is perfection and we have already fallen short. Now, inside your bulletin when you came in today uh, was a check. I asked earlier for your checkbook and I noticed nobody moved, but right now I want everybody to move. I want you to look in your bulletin and I want you to pull out the check that was there. As you look in your bulletin as you as you pull out that check, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. As they come up and as you reach in your your bulletin as you pull out this check, um, here's what I want you to see on this check. This this check is a representative of your life. And it looks like every other check you've ever seen, except up the top, there's, there's a date, but it's not today's date that you're going to write there. It's the date of your death. We don't know that date. Maybe it will be today. Maybe it will be years and years from now. But one day, we will die. And when we die, we will write that date on the check of our life. And on that day, we will, we will, we will offer our life up as a check to Almighty God. An entrance into eternity will carry a price tag of holiness or his perfection. That's what it will cost. You know, and the little line below that, it's a line that says righteousness. You can go ahead and just just write in what, what you think that means, holiness. All the things we saw about earlier, the high bar that Christ set and crossed, but all the things that were there, always loving, always forgiving, pure in both action and in thought. We write all those things out in holiness and righteousness on the line, and when we, we quickly write those things out, we see that, that doing those things in a perfect way is, is a check that will not clear if I sign this and it's routed to me. But this check, when we enter eternity, has the opportunity to have a different routing number on it. See down here, there's Romans 5.8, there's 2 Corinthians 5.21, where we can draw from the righteousness of Christ, so that when we die, His life would be sufficient payment for our sins, so that we might be able to enter into eternity with God. You know, many of you have, have, have heard me share this before, but when I was growing up, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a, as a good Christian kid, and for the first 16 years of my life, I, I lived life counting on my goodness as a good Christian kid to save me. And I remember it was Easter Sunday, 1990, that uh, my youth pastor asked me a series of questions about the Ten Commandments. He didn't state them as facts, but he asked them as questions, almost like Jesus did with those followers. And as he asked me those questions, I realized that, that I was somebody who had committed adultery in my heart and murder in my heart, and I was was not truthful, I was a liar, and, and I was not as loving as I thought, and I had all of these problems and all these debts, and I realized that there was not sufficient funds in my account to purchase the eternity I thought I could get there on my own. And then he shared about what Christ was offering us. And I dropped to my knees, and I trusted in Christ that night. And on my check of my life, the balance is routed to him. You know, if you are here today and you have made a similar step of faith at some point in your life, then this ought to bring a tremendous smile to your face and joy to your heart, knowing that your eternity is a check that will, ca- that will clear. But I know and believe that in a room this big that there are those here today who have never done that, who are still routing their lives to their own good works and hoping it will be good enough. And it's my prayer that this morning might be a time when you see this check and you you hear these truths, and as Christ speaks to you from the Sermon on the Mount, that, that you might realize the need for Him. And that today, by grace through faith, you might route your lives to Jesus, the Son of God. While you contemplate that and think about that, I want all of us to stand and to sing about Jesus.